Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us this morning as we try to answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Uh, if you're a first-time viewer, that's the way we operate. As we take viewers' questions, there's a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. And we take your questions about the Bible or about life in general. And if you wonder what the Bible has to say about some certain topic, we'll try to find you an answer to that. So that's what we do, and we spend all of our time answering as many questions as we can each week. So we're going to get going here as soon as I introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, i got a lot of good ones coming up today, but our practice is always give our viewers one first and let you work on it during the program. Uh, Jesus cooked breakfast for the apostles one time, believe it or not. Uh, what did he cook for them and have them come into the shore and eat with him? Uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know it. Toby, you got number one, so we'll just let you kick things off here. Pretty easy question, really. <laughs> just got to explain why God did something. Okay. And the viewer wants to know, why would an all-knowing, all-powerful God create faulty humans? Well, I would take issue I, with the premise of your question, first of all. Uh, God didn't uh, create faulty humans. God created human beings, male and female, in His image. And he said they were very good, as everything in his creation is very good. God doesn't create evil things. However, God did give human beings uh, something that was a little bit different from the rest of the created order, and that is uh, the, this little thing called free will, uh, the ability to choose, the ability to um, decide whether or not they wish to obey the Lord or go their own way. And as we all know, unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and so have all their descendants. Uh, human beings are different in that way, and uh, they <clears throat> well, think about like a simple illustration from a human perspective. Uh, you might ask, why would anyone choose to have children? Uh, they're going to make mistakes, and when they get to be teenagers, they'll probably rebel and give you all sorts of fits and trouble and heartache, and you just, why would you even bother well, uh, if you look at it from just the negative perspective, uh, it would be a hard case to make. Uh, however, uh, when you look at the long-term benefits, uh, the long-term benefits and the positives and the possibilities far outweigh any of the negatives. And that's my personal opinion. Of course, any why God question can never fully be answered by us. Uh, free, free will has huge risks but it also has huge rewards. Uh, you think of the good that's been done in humanity and the, the progress that we've made and many good things that have been produced by our ability to make our own choices. Well, I would say it's a good thing. Uh, of course, there's risk. and Of course, that has brought sin when we choose negatively, uh, but God has uh, prepared for that in advance as well. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and following. So, God created mankind in His own image, 
In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God saw it as a positive thing and uh, in Christ it can be a very good thing. All righty, thank you, Toby. Uh, viewers says, I have a Catholic friend who tells me priests have a higher authority to talk to God. Is that true? Uh, well, we do receive occasional questions about some religion's doctrine or what this church believes or that one. We're not experts on any <laughs> church doctrine, especially Catholic doctrine. Uh, we do get occasional questions about that. And Fortunately, if I do answer one on that, or Toby does, I've got a very knowledgeable pen pal that uh, watches the program pretty regularly, and Catherine will let me know very quickly if we uh, misinterpret Catholic doctrine, and I appreciate that. Uh, we have messed up occasionally, but uh, in general, we check some of their sources and try to give an answer from their sources. Uh, I'm going to answer this question not from just a Catholic perspective, but kind of generalize it. Uh, there's a lot of churches that the priest or pastor or whoever's in authority of some sort uh, is considered, whether it's official church doctrine or just in practice, uh, we consider them to have a little more pull with God somehow. Uh, if they are uh, got a title or they wear a certain uniform or something, we think oh, they're a little closer to God somehow and they got a little more authority here some way. Uh, that's not Bible. Uh, the Bible just doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says the exact opposite. It says that all Christians uh, have the same authority to approach God. Uh, let's read 1 Peter 2.9, which is a very interesting verse. Peter's writing to Christians, and he says, You, all Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Look at that. All Christians are priests. There's not a separate class of priests. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter says he doesn't understand anything about clergy and laity. A man has created that. Uh, you read the Bible and it just talks about all Christians being priests. Uh, all of us having the authority to approach God. That was what tearing the uh, veil of the temple was about. Used to, only the high priest could go approach God. Uh, the death of Jesus, God tore that veil open, indicating that all Christians can approach God. So, uh, we're all priests. Now, I'm not... Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that spiritual leaders, that uh, uh, more mature spiritual people uh, can't give you good advice and aren't good to listen to and can't explain the word better uh, than an immature, brand new Christian and all that. But if you ask if they have a higher authority to approach God, and that's just not in the Bible. All Christians can approach God. So that helps you understand that one. We're all priests. <laughs> Good explanation. The next question a viewer asks is, is it true that you don't have to obey the Sabbath like you used to, as in the Ten Commandments? 
And my answer to that is yes, that is true. Now the Sabbath uh, was the seventh day of the week, is the seventh day of the week. And under the Mosaic law, it was considered a holy day. God specifically commanded them uh, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. That was observed from sunset of the sixth day until sunset of the seventh day. So from Friday evening to Saturday evening was considered the Sabbath. And they had lots of rules governing that specific day. And it was designed to be a day as a holiness indicate, holy indicates a day to be set apart. They weren't to work like they did. They weren't to engage in the regular activities of the week, but instead to, to focus on God and the blessings of Him and His holiness and all the things which He had given them so that they would be a regular part of their routine to remember. That was under the Old Covenant. It's something that was under the law that the Israelites were to keep, and it's not something that is required today. Now, there are some folks who this is a big deal with them, and they are very much into the Sabbath day and keeping that. And, uh, I suppose, strictly speaking, if a person decides they want to do that for themselves, that doesn't bother me in any way. Uh, however, I do have issue with those people then begin to say, uh, I, but it's required for everyone, and that certainly is not the case. In fact, the New Testament says simply quite the opposite in several places. Uh, under the New Testament, Christians began to meet on the first day of the week, uh, on Sunday, for worship. And it's different from the Sabbath day, but it was the day where they met together and they um, uh, worshiped together and fellowshiped together and uh, took of the Lord's Supper and all of that. It was a different thing than the Sabbath day. And of course, this was a very difficult transition for those coming out of the old law and the old system. Uh, however, if we're talking about keeping the old law, one of the, the stipulations, if you're going to try to keep just one part of it, you've you got to keep all of it. And that's usually where um, folks who have a, a good heart just simply stop. They don't want to keep all of it. They just want to pick a few parts of it. So is it required? Certainly not. Not under New Testament Christianity. If a person wants to do that personally, I say that's okay, but... Uh, it's not something you should enforce on other people. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> there the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We live under His covenant and because we live under His covenant, uh, lots of parts of the old law that pointed to Jesus uh, are no longer useful for us today. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we do study it with you a little bit here each week, but we also advocate home Bible study, and we've got some free materials that we'll send you. Uh, we want folks to learn more about their Bible. That's why we're on the air and why we spend the time and effort. And uh, we've found some good ways to study the Bible over the years, and we're happy to share them with you, absolutely free of charge. You see one course on the screen now. There are eight lessons in it. Good introduction to the Bible. Good basic, non-denominational, just straight Bible study. And uh, you'll learn a lot about your Bible if you call in or log on to the website and say, send me that free course. Uh, we'll send you lesson number one, and in it you'll learn about the Old Testament. Uh, figure out what that part of your Bible is about and 
what's in there and who wrote it and when and lots of interesting things. And then if you finish that one and send it back, we'll send you lesson number two, uh, which is about the New Testament. You'll learn some things about that. Then you'll kind of have a big understanding of your Bible and you're ready to study some more advanced topics. So that's how that course works. And then we've got some other courses beyond that first one that are we can keep you studying the Bible for a long time on Know Your Bible. So give us a call, log on, tell us, I want that free course, and uh, we'll get it to you. And it is absolutely free. We even pay the postage for you. So uh, nothing you have to invest but a little bit of your time, and it's time well spent. So give us a call. All right, next question is about fearing God. Viewer says, is it wrong uh, for me? I don't fear God. Uh, I respect Him. Just like a child has respect for an earthly father. Well, the Bible does say a number of things about uh, fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and things like that. And the viewer says, well, I don't fear him. Is that wrong? Uh, and I can't answer for the viewer because I don't know exactly what's in his mind. Uh, comparing God to an earthly father has some advantages, but it's also a little dangerous uh, because I don't know what you think about earthly fathers. Uh, these days, uh, a lot of folks think earthly fathers, modern fathers, are supposed to be just all loving and not punish and not ever make anybody feel bad and don't hurt Junior's feelings and uh, certainly don't ever lay a hand on him. Uh, no punishment allowed and things like that. Uh, some people today, that's kind of what they'd like God to be like. He's just a happy old grandfather that lets us do anything we want. In fact, a lot of people say that. Well, I know God wants me to be happy. Uh, so he'd certainly never punish me in any way. Uh, of course, then there's the old-fashioned, maybe you'd call it, kind of father that uh, if you step out of line a little bit, he'll light you up, let you <laughs> make you sorry that you stepped out of line. And all those pictures are inadequate pictures of God. Uh, God is a father in one sense, but he's has all wisdom, he has all knowledge, he's all just, uh, he's all wrathful also. He can't tolerate sin in his presence. And so when you're dealing with God, you have to put all of that together and have a picture of it. Now, as far as not fearing him, uh, I understand not being so fearful that you think he's going to strike you with lightning every moment. Uh, and the more and more you know about him, the more you love him, that casts out fear, the Bible says. But what I want to stress with this viewer is uh, Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Other translations say it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So although we don't fear him in the sense that if we're following him and love him, we don't expect him to zap us any moment, but... For those that disobey him, that, that choose to deny him, it's going to be a fearful thing uh, when they meet God. And in that sense, we need to have a healthy fear of who God is. Perhaps the best verse that will help you, and we'll kind of put everything together, is Romans 11:22. Let's look at that on the screen. Uh, Paul said, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Yes, he is a loving God. He loves us like a father, a perfect father. But he's also severe. If we disobey him, if we choose not to uh, follow him and deny him, it's going to be a terrifying thing. 
So, I, I guess I'm saying it's good to have a healthy fear of God, a respect of who He is, uh, although we're not in terror of Him every moment if we're following Him and obeying Him. So, uh, can't say exactly if it's wrong for this viewer to claim he doesn't fear God, but we ought to be aware of who God really is. So, maybe that rambling helps a little bit there on that kind of tricky question. All right, what do you got here? Uh, viewer wants to know, is speaking in tongues babbling? And biblically speaking, the answer to that question is no. I know there are some religious groups who practice the basically uh, art of babbling, and they reduce their, sub, uh, their, their speaking to kind of an infant babbling, and they're just making nonsensical noise and claiming that speaking in tongues. Uh, I've always thought, one, uh, that's kind of a, sort of the easiest way to say I'm speaking in tongues. Um, if you look at the biblical examples, and by the way, there aren't many, but I found some in Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And every time you look at those examples, the biblical example of speaking in tongues means speaking in a foreign language that you have not previously studied. God used it, of course, to spread the gospel and to grow the early church. It was tremendously helpful in a day when you didn't have Google Translate and all sorts of uh, modern technology to help <coughs> uh, share the good news uh, to people of a foreign tongue. And so he gave them, uh, gifted by the Spirit, the ability to speak in a real language that they had not previously studied. And uh, in every instance, it was an actual known language capable of being understood by another human being. There was, there was actual uh, meaning to it. And even if, if a person spoke in tongues, there's an example in 1 Corinthians, uh, and the people hearing it couldn't understand it, Paul required them to have an interpreter so that they could uh, know what was being said. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 together. <clears throat> this is uh, one of the first ones. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own uh, in our own native language? And uh, it was a, a wonderful gift, certainly helpful to the early church but it was speaking in a specific language that, that was an actual language, not a just incoherent babbling. And it was for a purpose. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that gift would pass away. And, of course, we believe that it has today. So, uh, no, it's not babbling. Very different. Okay. Biblical speaking in tongues. was Somebody understood it, yep. that understood that language. All right, question about communion. Actually, a couple of questions about communion mixed together. Viewer says, does communion have to be blessed by an ordained minister, uh, or can anyone take communion? Well, we may have had some miscommunication with the operator or the email on this. It's really two separate questions, um, but I'll answer those two questions anyway. First, uh, can... Or does communion have to be blessed by an ordained minister? Absolutely nothing in the Bible about that. Uh, it doesn't say anything about who administers communion or how it's done or anything else. Uh, I know that some churches make a big production out of it and have blessings and official blessings and all that's not in the Bible. 
the Bible just talks about communion as sharing uh, basically a meal, some bread and some fruit of the vine, some wine or grape juice, and sharing that. And as you do, remembering what happened on the cross. Uh, the bread represents his body. It reminds you of it as we take it where our minds should go back to that scene. Uh, as we drink the juice, our minds should go back to the fact that he shed his blood for us. And uh, that's what Jesus said. He shared a meal with his apostles and he said, now as often as you do this, uh, you're going to remember me. And you'll show people uh, that you believe that I died for you and all that. So it's just a time of remembrance. The key is not in somebody blessing it or saying some magic words over it. Uh, the key is in our hearts, our individual hearts. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, each one should examine himself when he partakes of the Lord's Supper. So that's where it all happens. It's not about some third party and their blessing or not blessing. Uh, second part of the question says, can anyone take communion? Uh, they may have meant, can anyone administer communion? And I've already answered that. The Bible doesn't say anything about who administers it. Uh, can anyone take communion? Uh, my answer to that is, only a Christian would want to, I think. Uh, I don't know why any non-Christian would be interested in taking communion. Uh, it would have no meaning for them. They don't have any relationship with Christ. The cross doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, there's nothing magic about the communion itself. Uh, the bread and the wine, uh, there's nothing miraculous or special about them. So it doesn't do you any good to take a magic potion kind of thought about it. It's just the time you remember uh, the death of Christ. Uh, and only a Christian, that, in my thought anyway, would want to. It's a time to remember. Now, some churches do have what they call closed communion. And the church itself kind of monitors who can and who can't. So if you've uh, violated the rules or somehow you're out of favor with the leadership of the church or maybe a very, very sinful life or something, they tell you you can't take communion. <clears throat> so maybe that's what our viewer is talking about. Uh, we practice open communion. We don't monitor who takes it and who doesn't. And like I say, we trust that only a Christian would want to. Uh, and if you want to take it and think it means something to you, uh, we don't prohibit you in any way. Now, if you obviously don't know what you're doing, you're obviously not a Christian and just coming to take communion as some kind of ceremony, uh, we'd probably teach you and talk to you about it and explain what communion is, but uh, we don't practice closed communion in that sense. So can anyone take it? Well, yes, but I don't know why anybody but a Christian would want to. All right, uh, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ and sponsored by them, so we like to recognize a few of our uh, supporters every week. Uh, today, let's talk about the church up in Burlington, Iowa, a long, long-time supporter. They handle uh, the area up there, broadcast from Rock Island and into Iowa, uh, and deal with the phone calls and uh, Correspondence courses and all that, big help for us. Uh, we appreciate their work and their many, many years of work there in Burlington. Great bunch of people. Uh, if you live in that area, want to, looking for a church home or just want to 
thank the folks that keep Know Your Bible on the air for you. Uh, stop in there at the Burlington Church of Christ and uh, visit with them. Great bunch of people. You'll find some folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here. Uh, any area you live in, any broadcast area, probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, stop in and visit them and tell you we heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what's our <coughs> close to the end the question. here? I heard the Bible says not to, quote, mix the tribes, unquote. Does that refer to races? Uh, well, th this is an out-of-context quote, and a little context helps us understand uh, specifically what this verse is talking about. In the Old Testament, there are specific verses that where the Jewish people were forbidden from intermarrying with different nations. Let's look at an example from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 through 4, where <clears throat> Moses writes, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. Now, some racist people uh, take those verses very much out of context and, and make this case that we ought to keep everybody separate and judge according to skin color. And that's totally not what this is about at all. Uh, the Jews were forbidden to intermarry due to religious reasons. If you noted in that verse, God was warning them not to intermarry because they worshipped foreign gods and He didn't want them worshipping any other god but Him. And so that was the reason for that. In a case, when you see that the Israelites actually disobey God, that's exactly what they did. They took on their foreign gods and their idols and all of that, and it caused a whole lot of problems. So God was simply warning them. And, of course, uh, there's not any sort of uh, mixing the tribes command or anything like that in the church today. We can look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, where it says, In Christ you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So uh, no restrictions uh, you know, today, and uh, hope that helps you understand in context a little okay. bit. Thank you, Toby. Quick last question here I think we got time for. If you want to know, do angels speak through people? And my answer is there's absolutely nothing in the New Testament that indicates that. Uh, no examples and certainly nothing about applicable today to that. Uh, just doesn't say anything about it. Don't believe they do. In fact, Hebrews 1 1 says that in the past, God spoke in many ways, in many different ways, through prophets and uh, angels and visions and dreams and all sorts of things. But the writer of Hebrews says, but today he's spoken through his son. So that's why we have the Bible. Jesus came and told us what God wanted us to do. Uh, don't believe angels are speaking through people in any way today. All right, let's make sure we get our breakfast question answered here. And uh, we wanted to know what Jesus cooked for breakfast. And he was on the shore, and he cooked some fish for the apostles. They were out fishing, and uh, he, they saw him up there. He yelled to them, and they came in, and uh, he had breakfast prepared for them. So kind of an odd little story in the Bible, but uh, the, <laughs> a good little story there. So hopefully you knew that one. We're out of time for today, but we're going to be back next week with uh, some more of your questions and try to find some answers to them. Uh, we appreciate the good questions and uh, the interest you have and know your Bible. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course, today would be a good day to do that. 
Uh, we'll be back next week trying to answer as many as we can, so we hope you can come back then. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.